the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Well, we made it through the Lenten season, the Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter celebrations, and our recent post-Easter Resurrection Rewind mini-series. If you missed any of these, or would like to do a more in-depth Bible study on these key events, go to faithtalk1360.com for the podcasts. Well, friends, through the Holy Spirit and the urging of a dear friend, encourager, and faithful listener, I plan to revive this series I began in January 2022. During those nine months, I devoted 31 programs to illuminate 31 Bible verses that were misread, mistaught, or explained, and misapplied, calling that series, Oh, That Verse Means That? We scrutinized verses we believed meant one thing, but discovered they actually meant something quite different. Well, once again, we'll put on our detective's cap, pull out our pocket spiritual magnifying glass, and strap on our first century sandals. And you know why? Because, friends, the Bible has a story to tell us. In fact, it's crying out, screaming out to tell us its story. But sadly, we pastors, teachers, and preachers, as well as Christians in general, make, even force or manipulate the Bible to tell our story, whether knowingly or unknowingly, I still say, shame on us. And once again, let's call on Peter's words in Second Peter 1, 20 and 21, that the Holy Spirit is the author and inspirer of our Judeo-Christian scriptures, our Bible. So doesn't the Holy Spirit deserve our respect as we read our Bibles? Shouldn't we respect God's word more as we read it, even if we have to take a little extra time to dig deeper into his word? How often have we just cavalierly and authoritatively blurted out what we think a verse means? Well, friends, I'm coming back with a vengeance, so to speak, because today's session 32 unleashes a hot-button text, Romans 8, 35 through 39, which I'm calling, Can Nothing Really Separate Us?, 
We'll actually devote two sessions to this topic. Today's session A will focus on what I call the suffering factor, how the immediate context, verses 17 through 39, protect the interpretation and force us to draw conclusions we rarely draw. Next time in session B, we'll focus on what I call the love factor, how we should best understand the love of God and the responsibilities and obligations of biblical love. So, friends, put your spirit seatbelts on and get ready for the ride of your lives. And let me just say here at the outset, we do this portion of scripture a grave injustice by reading or referring to only verses 35 through 39 to make our point. The immediate context is actually verses 17 through 34, which I can't recall a preacher or teacher reading. Because, friends, Romans 8 almost evenly divides in half, and the subject shifts in the middle of verse 17. Let me help us see exactly what I mean. Let's read only verses 35 through 39. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So, friends, first up is the first word in verse 35, who. At first, it seems odd, since Paul's laundry list of woes starts with seven inanimate things. Not till verse 38 does his list of woes include angels, principalities, and powers, believed to mean ranks of demons. But that's okay, because this pronoun is a broad-spectrum word, meaning who, which, what, even why. It's used again in verse 39, translated any. Since it's part of speech here, it can be understood to mean anyone, a certain one, someone, even thing, solidifying the phrase, any other created thing. Second, those who attend my classes or Bible studies know I frequently ask, what's the most important word in this verse? implying that a key word aids the interpretation, and it's usually a small word. Well, in verse 35, the most significant word is the word us, as in, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And friends, here's the built-in protective mechanism that forces us to go back and read verses 17 through 34, because identifying who the us represents is crucial to properly interpreting verses 35 through 39. We often assume the us is talking about all of us Christians in general. And here's the downside of reading only one or a few verses of Scripture, the fatal flaw that plagues many Bible readers who simply want that breadcrumb for the day, that daily morsel to get them by. This is akin to a soundbite, which we all know never tells the full story. And friends, here's where the death knell occurs. Here's where we end up disrespecting the Holy Spirit. A somewhat peculiar thing occurs in verse 17, in that the topic shifts in the middle of the sentence. Some Bibles even have a break between verses 17 and 18, giving the impression the shift is at verse 18. But this isn't true. Just listen to verses 16, 17, and 18, and see if you can spot the transition point. Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. 
verse 17, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if we indeed suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Verse 18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Chapter 8, the midpoint of Romans, says a lot about living victoriously versus living under the weight of a carnal life, communicated by using the terms the flesh and having one's mind set on the flesh, being dead to sin versus being alive in the spirit because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. This vital vital resurrection life connection empowers us to live victoriously and put to death the deeds of our mortal bodies. We new believers in Messiah now being sons of God, casting off the spirit of slavery and receiving a spirit of adoption by which we now have a personal father, knowing we're his children and his heirs and heirs of his son Jesus. This brings us to verse 17, the key transitional verse of the chapter. And Paul makes it clear that just because we're God's heirs and fellow heirs with his son Jesus, we're not automatically exempt from suffering in this life. In fact, friends, identifying with Jesus is akin to putting a target on our backs. We open ourselves up to all kinds of opposition, natural and spiritual. And why Paul gives us his laundry list of woes in verses 35. Through 39, but prefaced by verses 31 through 34. And the word who appears again in verse 31, the same word we unpacked earlier. For our purposes, it means both who and what. Here Paul carefully crafts his encouraging and strengthening words to the Roman Christ followers. In other words, if God is for us, who or what could possibly be against us? And friends, this us in verse 31 is the same us in verse 35. And why we're devoting much time today to identify who this us actually is. And it's really no mystery. I would even go so far as to say it's a no-brainer. With our detective's cap on, our pocket spiritual magnifying glass in hand and following the trail of clues left for us in verses 17 through 34 we find ourselves arriving at the conclusion that this second half of Romans chapter 8 spotlights suffering Christians so friends let's take a deeper look at that trail of Bible texts between verses 17 and 34 and let them aid us in not only understanding what Paul communicates but also identify the many assaults leveled at us Christ followers in a fallen and hostile world. Because the natural world is broken, the spiritual world is broken. We're dealing with both a fallen world and fallen angels. At times, this leaves us with both natural oppositions and spiritual oppositions. And why Paul points out in verses 31 through 34 that in spite of these opposing forces, God is still on our side. No matter who or what is against us, God is still for us, and God is always interceding for us. So, friends, let's now read Romans 8, verses 16 through 34. 
The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In the same way the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints, or set-apart ones, according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? By the way, Paul paraphrases from Psalm 118 and 56, and it's also quoted in Hebrews 13. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Notice this echo from 8.1. Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. One early manuscript reads, Raised from the dead. Who is at the right hand of God? Who also intercedes for us? Interesting, huh? Did you catch that? This portion, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all intercede for us. We have the Trinity on our side. Verse 35 now, Who or what will separate us from the love of Christ? So, friends, notice that creation itself is groaning and suffering, and we ourselves are groaning and suffering, eagerly hoping and waiting for our physical bodies to be finally and fully redeemed. And we do this with perseverance, knowing we're still living in a fallen world. Notice how Paul often inserts his encouraging and strengthening words to these suffering Christ followers. They have the Holy Spirit who comes alongside them in their weak moments. They have God himself, their father, their Abba father, who is sovereign in their lives and who will take every suffering moment and turn it around for good and for his glory. They have God's promise that their earthly woes will one day be eliminated and they can look ahead to and look forward to being glorified. They have Jesus himself who is also interceding for them. 
and whose certain resurrection supplies them with hope for their own resurrection, and supplies them with resurrection power. And in the meantime, their woes are actually serving a divine purpose, a long-term goal that is conforming them to the image of Christ. These are not just random and meaningless trials. Well, let's pause here a moment, friends. If you tuned in late, you're listening to A Word from the Word with me, your host, Pastor Tom. I want you to know how valuable you are as listeners to A Word from the Word, which is listener-funded. Your financial partnership helps keep this program on the air, which also disciples many Christians without a church home, plus those of you who may have been wounded by the institutional church. Join forces with me and A Word from the Word by emailing me for support support details at a word from the word at minister.com we'll repeat this info at the end of the program so friends god has not abandoned these christians in rome he has not stopped loving them and they as they seem to have started believing troubling times have this effect on us don't they friends let's be honest and transparent here if David can say to the Lord, Why are you far from me in Psalm 72? And, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I have no rest in Psalm 22. And Jesus recites these very words of David in Matthew 27 while hanging on the cross. So I really don't think God is displeased with us expressing our cry for help in our times of distress, wondering where he is? And friends, this is why I submit that Paul again inserts his encouraging and strengthening words in Romans 8.34 by saying, Who is the one who condemns? Isn't it so easy to think that when we go through tough times, somehow God is punishing or condemning us? This New Testament Greek word Paul uses for condemn is actually a legal term. It means to judge someone as guilty, as worthy of punishment. It carries the idea of handing down a judgment. No wonder Paul's next statement is, Christ Jesus is he who died. In other words, Jesus became guilty. He took our punishment and was judged in our place. So now Paul runs through the laundry list of woes in verses 35 through 39. He actually supplies two lists. And friends, let's pay careful attention to the nature of these lists. I'll read from the NAS, but any translation gets the point across. The first list, tribulation, distress and persecution, famine, nakedness, peril and sword. The second list, death, life, Angels, principalities, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, any other created thing. Sixteen conditions or situations, plus his sort of postscript. That kind of functions like saying, in case I left any other thing out. So here's the crux, friends. These 16 conditions or situations fall into two categories. First, they are not things we would wish or will upon ourselves. And second, they represent things that are imposed on us by external forces against our own will. 
Paul makes it clear that these are unpleasant things. And why in verse 36, he quotes from Psalm 44, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Psalm 44 is a plea for deliverance from present troubles. The sons of Korah are pleading to God, Yahweh, for military victory over their enemies. The larger context surrounding Paul's quote says, But for your sake, Yahweh's sake, we are killed all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Arouse yourself, Yahweh. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul has sunk down into the dust. Our body cleaves to the earth. Rise up, be our help, and redeem us for the sake of your loving kindness. The Hebrew word is chesed, the covenant, faithful, and steadfast love of Yahweh toward his chosen people, Israel. Now, friends, in this Romans 8 context, Paul may be referring to the Roman Christians when he says, Your sake, as we know he expended himself for the sake of others. He either led to Christ or discipled. He was a caring shepherd as well as a missionary evangelist. He elaborates on this idea in 2 Corinthians 4, 7-12. through 12. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of this power will be of God and not from ourselves. We We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Whoa! Are we that committed? Evidently, the great Apostle Paul is here testifying to the fact that persecution could lead us to think we've been forsaken. And he uses a great word here, forsaken, which means to be deserted, be abandoned, even to leave in a lurch or in dire circumstances. We've all been there, haven't we? Friends, now here's the piece de resistance in reference to Romans 8, 35-39 that I've been saving till the end. The whipped cream on the Sunday, the cherry on top of the whipped cream. And honestly, I really think we do not think about this. When we or any pastor, teacher, or preacher attach Romans 8, 35-39 to our salvation, in other words, making the claim that Romans 8, 35-39 is there to assure all of us believers that we are unconditionally secure in our salvation no matter what we do or what is done to us we have just stolen this text away from offering comfort and encouragement to hurting brothers and sisters Do you hear me, friends? What we've just done is stolen these verses away from ministering to hurting believers who are going through gut-wrenching times and feeling like God has forsaken them, abandoned them, deserted them, and left them in a lurch. And to this I say, shame on us. 
Additionally, friends, why do we assume that not being separated from the love of God automatically means not being separated from God? Does the text really allow us to do that? After all, the phrase we love to bark out so cavalierly, nothing can separate us from the love of God, is not even a part of the original text. We've assumed that this is what the text is saying, and therefore what the text is meaning. Shame on us! Sadly, but gladly, only four dynamic equivalence Bible translations use this language, but here they're off the mark. Please, go ahead and read your King James, New King James, ESV, NAS, CSB, or even the NIV. More formal equivalent leaning Bible translations match the original Greek New Testament text and therefore are very situation specific. In Romans 8, 35-39, Paul is not making a generic statement nor giving us a limitless nothing here. The nothing in both places is tethered to the list of 16 circumstances or situations that we as suffering Christians might face now or in the future. And friends, here's my teaser for our next session, session B. There are ample scripture passages that indicate what can separate us from God, like Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, where I'd suggest you read all of chapter 59. Sin can separate us from God, and I'm not talking about slips or some sins that easily beset us. I'm referring to willful, continual, ongoing, and deliberate sinning. In 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul tells us that Demas, his former missionary partner, quote, has deserted me, having loved agape, this present world. The bottom line is, friends, is our first love really our first love? And as Paul both commends and exhorts the Thessalonians regarding their love for God and others, he says, excel still more. In Revelation 2.3, Jesus's critique of the church in Ephesus is, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Well, we'll see next time that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart and why session B will be called the love factor. So stay tuned. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of today's program. Jesus says in John 16:33, "In me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world." Friends, we now pray to the risen Lord, the conquering, victorious, and overcoming Lord. I also love coming alongside you who are without a church home right now, plus those who've been wounded by the institutional church. Podcasts are at faithtalk1360.com. That's faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts and then scroll to a word from the word. Programs are posted in latest date order. Podcasts may also be accessed on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And thanks to my friends and partners at ChristianBody.net, a word from the word is aired in over 70 countries. Friends, please join in supporting the ministry of a word from the word so we can become fully funded. It's listeners like you that keep a word from the word on the air. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's 
a word from the word at minister.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.